The theme of this morning's sermon, this morning's message, this morning's text is that of our attention and our focus. And I've been focused on attention, thinking about attention this week, and realized that it is really difficult for us to stay focused, right? It's, uh, anybody else have trouble just staying focused on anything, most normal task uh, that goes on in life and it just seems like we just, everything grabs our attention, Yesterday, last night, I was, um, I was sitting with, with a family, and I got a text message from a, a friend of mine. Uh, he was texting. He, he said, was just checking in to see how we were doing, how the transition's going, just a nice, friendly, how you doing type text. And I saw that text and was horrified to see that right above that text was another text from him several weeks ago that I had missed and not replied to. It's like the worst feeling, isn't it? Uh, and so I, I noticed that, and I remembered when that text came in thinking, oh, I need to respond to him, and I didn't. I don't know what distracted me, but something distracted me, and I forgot. And so then this next text from him came in, and I was like, okay, this time I got to make sure I respond like right away to this guy. I can't leave him hanging again. And then my kids said something, and that's the last time I thought about it. And yeah, I know. You guys think I'm a horrible person. That's fine. I am. Uh, and, and it totally slipped my mind again last night. And so then I got up this morning. I was like, oh, I ha- must text him back. So I finally, I sent him a long text message back and, and apologized for, for missing his text and uh, gave him the little life update. And we, we went back and forth a little bit early this morning. So if you're watching David, I apologize. I'm sorry. Um, but it's, it, it's just emblematic of kind of in this age that we live in, how distracted we are and how easily our attention can be pulled in different directions. And in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul, it turns out, is dealing with a very similar problem nearly 2,000 years ago. And people were getting distracted. People were losing focus from what's important. And so Paul has uh, a solution, maybe not a solution, but some practical tips to help our minds and our hearts stay focused on what's important. So let me read Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, and then we'll dive in. Colossians 2, beginning of verse 8, says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for Jesus. We thank you that he saves We thank you that he has made us alive. We thank you that he's called us to himself. And we thank you that even in this very moment, he's interceding on our behalf to you. He's our go-between, our great high priest who stands in between you and us, making a way for us to have a relationship with you. What a gift we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be so enamored by Jesus, by what he's done for us, that nothing can take our minds and hearts 
off of him. And so would you speak to us this morning through your word? Would you encourage us with it? Would you help us to take real, actionable steps in the weeks ahead to keep our mind focused on him? And God, would you send us out of this place with joy because of what you've done for us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This section of the letter marks a transition point in our study of Colossians. So we've been working through the book of Colossians in order, and and we're halfway through chapter 2 now, and the letter is starting to turn. And I'll put a a picture up on the screen behind me. This is from a friend of mine's church in Tennessee, and it's for you Bible scholars, you'll recognize this. This is generally how Paul's letters work. Hopefully you can see that behind my big head. But this is generally how a letter from the Apostle Paul works. He says, grace to you. And then he says, I thank God for you. And then he says, hold fast to the gospel. And then he says, for the love of everything holy, stop being stupid. And he says, Timothy says hi. And that's generally how the Apostle Paul's letters work. You can go read uh, Corinthians is like that. Um, Ephesians is like that. This letter is like that. Galatians is not quite like this. Galatians, he just says, hi, stop being stupid. He just cuts to the chase in Galatians. But anyways, this is how Paul's letter work. And where, where, where we are is we are kind of right in the middle on the line between hold fast to the gospel and stop being stupid. Okay, And so that's where we are in the flow of the letter, and we'll spend the rest of the time talking about not being stupid, and then um, some people will say hi at the end, and we'll move on to our next sermon series. So we're in this transition. So what, what Paul does in his letters, he usually sets a theological foundation. He sets a truth foundation for why he's going to tell us what to do. He's going to give us some real instructions. He's going to say, do this, don't do that, etc. But the first half of the letter is the why. This is why you should live this way. This is why that matters. And in today's text, so he's going to give us a little mixture. He's going to tell us one thing that we should do, and then he's going to give us two reasons why, theologically, we should do that. And so the main idea of this text, the whole idea of what Paul is saying here today is that forgiven people are focused people. Forgiven people are focused people, and we'll see that throughout our time this morning. So the first thing he says is that forgiven people are focused on Christ. They're focused on Christ. This is what verse 8 is about. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to to Christ. He said, don't let anything take your attention away. Don't let anything captivate your mind or your heart. And he says, you need to see to it. This is the imperative. This is the instruction for today. See to this. Mind this. Pay attention to this. Make sure this happens. Make sure nothing captivates your mind except for Jesus. And keep in mind, we're talking in the context probably of false teaching here. And he's saying, hey, when you get distracted from who Jesus is and what he's done, other theologies, philosophies, approaches, just stuff of life, even idols, Satan himself can grab your mind and get you off track and derail you. Paul says, see to it that that doesn't happen, that nothing takes you captive except for Jesus. When you think about what it means to be captivated by someone, it means kind of uh, be awestruck. It means to be totally focused on when you're captivated by something. It's almost as if you have blinders on and you can't see anything in the periphery. All that you can see is that which you're gazing upon. Paul says that should be our stance, our perspective when it comes to Jesus. Nothing else should be able to distract us from him. So when he says see to it that that happens, that's a difficult command in the world that we live in, isn't it? There's a lot of stuff vying for our attention, isn't there? Just think about, even just in today's culture, how different the world we live in is than it was 
20 or 30 or 40 years ago, right? We used to watch the evening news. Do you guys remember the evening news? That was an event. It happened at one time, six o'clock at night on CBS or ABC or NBC, and you watch the evening news. How do we do news now? It's 24-7, baby, all the time. Everything is news. Everything is a story. Everything is the most major controversy you've ever heard in your life, and it's 24-7, always vying for your attention. TV shows. You guys remember when TV shows came out once a week? Those are good old days, right? TV shows would come out once a week, and you would have to wait for your favorite show to come on at a certain time, a certain episode, and, you, and you, you'd watch that 30-minute episode, and you'd have to wait a whole week to watch the next episode. Can you believe the terrible circumstances we used to live in? <laughs> wait a whole week for a show. Now how does it work? Netflix drops all 12 of them or 20 of them in one instant. And what do they tell you to do? They tell you to binge watch them, right? If you say you're binging anything else, they send you to the hospital. But we're cool with it for TV shows. That's fine. I'm watching all 12 episodes tonight. It's crazy. Constantly vying for our attention. Our phones. Man, don't those things beg for your attention? They are constantly tapping on you, tapping on you, constantly trying to get you to be somewhere else than where you are. Constantly get, trying to get you to pay attention to someone, something, some issue. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's David texting me when I'm playing with my kids. There's always vying for our attention, right? Social media, usually on our phones, screaming at us. Look here. You might miss the latest thing. You might not know what's happening in this digital world. Look, look, look. Give me your attention. I read this week in a study that the average American, listen to this, the average American, average, I mean some more than this, average American checks their phone 344 times per day. They pick up their phone and look at it, maybe even just for an instant and then put it back down. 344 times a day. For you math gurus, that's once every four minutes of the day. The phone tapping at us, vying for our attention. My wife and I's primary love language this day and age is sending Instagram reels back and forth to one another that we find funny. If you're around my age, you laughed at that joke. You get it, right? That's how you uh, communicate and how you have fun. If you didn't laugh at that, it's because one or two things, you're either older than us and you don't know what reels are, and that's fine. They come to you on Facebook eventually. If you're younger than me, you thought that was a dumb joke because you saw that two weeks ago on TikTok, right? So every generation <laughs> has their way that they're getting their digital stuff. It's mostly good-natured. Most, most of the jokes I send to my wife are funny. Some of them are not, but that's okay. But it becomes dangerous when we get sucked into the scrolling vortex, doesn't it? When we get through Facebook and we're just scrolling through to see what's going on out there. Tony Ranke, in his book, Competing Spectacles, he argues that one of the most important things Christians can do for their spiritual health is to pay close attention to what we give our attention to. Listen to what he says. He says, in other words, we're not simply creatures of our environment. We're creatures shaped by what grabs our attention. And what we give our attention to becomes our objective and subjective reality. Identical twins raised in an identical environment will be shaped differently if they focus on different things. What we attend to, we attend to what interests us. Listen to this. We become like what we watch. 
He says our focus, our attention determines who we're going to become. Uh, Paul says it a different way. Ecclesiastes says it a different way. He says, bad company corrupts good character. And Paul quotes it later in the New Testament. Bad company corrupts good character. We could replace that by saying bad social media corrupts good character. Or bad, bad TV corrupts good character. Or bad movies corrupt good character. Or bad whatever corrupts good character. We become like what we watch. This is not just a young people technology problem. So I want to be super clear about that. That's a big issue, but it's not the only issue. Anything that pulls our attention and focus off of Jesus and onto something else is a problem. So we can ask ourselves, what is it? When I'm left alone by myself and my mind wanders, where does it go? Where does it go? Where does your mind go when it has nothing pressing to attend to? That's an indicator of what might be stealing your attention from Jesus. So, the command to see to it that nothing captivates our attention more than Jesus. How do we do that? Two simple suggestions this morning. Number one, I would encourage you to be discerning with your attention. Be discerning with your attention. Think through, calculate what you're giving your focus to, what you're giving your attention to. Ask questions about what you're focusing on and thinking about. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says if it's a good thing, if it's a godly thing, in other words, give your attention to it. If it's not, we want to be discerning about those things and limit their influence on our lives. If it doesn't fit this category, we need to be very skeptical about giving our attention to them because what we watch, we become. Second, I would encourage you to be disciplined with your attention. Not just discerning, but disciplined. Make a plan for how you will spend your attention. Your time is limited, and therefore your attention is limited. This is a limited resource. It cannot be renewed. We are only given so much time on this earth. Why would we waste it on trivial fruitless things. In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. We live in an evil world. As we've already said, a world that's vying for our attention, trying to get us to think about anything but Jesus. And so he says, be careful. Circumspect, it says in another transition. Be circumspect, walk circumspectly. Think about how you're living your life, making the best use of your time. I want to encourage you to make space and time for what is good and then choose deliberately to turn away from what isn't. This doesn't happen by accident. You must be disciplined. You must make a plan. You must think through how you'll spend your time and attention. And when drifts towards godliness, it takes discipline. So Paul's told us what to do. He says, make sure that you're not led astray by something that captivates your attention that's apart from Christ. Because forgiven people are focused people. And so this is the imperative. This is the command. This is the do. This is the action, right? Our next two points this morning, there's three points today for you note takers. You always want to know that. The next two things are the why. why. Why should we do that? Why should we make this a priority? Why do we care about this? And the first reason is because as Christians, we are found in Christ. We're found in Christ. Paul tells us, 
that the most important thing for any Christian to understand is that we are in Christ. That's a phrase the Bible uses over and over and over, in Christ. We're united with him. This text says he's in us. Other text says we're in him. There's a unification here. We are made one with Christ, united to Jesus. And we have to keep this in mind if we're going to stay focused on the right things. We have to remember who we are because who we are determines where we look, where our attention goes, and what we focus on. Look at verses 11 and 12 of our passage today. It says, In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Interesting text here, a lot of stuff in these two verses. So just can I get everybody's commitment to hang with me here for a little bit? We're going to do a little study, all right? He says some stuff about circumcision and baptism and how these things are connected and what they are. And this is one of those verses, one of those passages, if you don't have a good handle in the Old Testament, it makes no sense whatsoever. So just we're going to try to make sense of it a little bit. But circumcision, I'm not going to explain to you what that is. You have to look it up later. <laughs> circumcision in Scripture is a physical sign of a spiritual covenant that God made with his people. It's how one demonstrated in an outward manner that they were a part of the family of God and they were in a covenant relationship with him. God promises Abraham that he's going to make him into a great nation. He's going to bless him. He's going to make him the father of many nations, he says in the book of Genesis. And this is kind of the founding of God's people. This is the founding of the nation of Israel. And through Abraham, he says he's going to bless the whole world. And that uh, promise ultimately comes true in Jesus. But God tells Abraham when he calls him to, to form this chosen people, these holy people, he says, hey, listen, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and here's the sign. This is what he says in Genesis chapter seven or 17, verses 9 and 10. God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And so in order to show the world that you belong to God's family, that you are this covenant people, that you are a part of God's chosen people, the outward display of that was the act of circumcision. And so now here Paul, thousands of years later, is speaking to these Gentile believers. Colossae was not a Jewish city. There may have been some Jewish influences there, but there's not, it's not by and large a Jewish city. It's a Gentile city. And he's saying to them, listen, you Jewish or you Gentile non-Jewish Christians, when you put your faith in Jesus, you also are circumcised, but not in the physical sense of the word. Rather, the mark, the sign of your faith is spiritual in nature. Instead of having a piece of your flesh cut off, you're putting off the entirety of your fleshly nature. All right? A lot of church words just there in that little phrase. So just hang with me, all right? You guys promise to hang with me. When the Bible talks about putting off our flesh, it's talking about not just the actual, not really the actual skin of our bodies, but it's instead talking about our sin nature, our physical nature, our nature, our DNA, our hardwiring that's set against the Lord that is destined for punishment. It's saying we're putting that off. That part of us is going away. As Christians, a death has taken place in all of us. Our old sin-natured flesh has died. But a new birth takes place as well, doesn't it? We're born again, the Bible says, in Christ, raised from the dead with a new nature. And Paul says that the New Testament believer's version of circumcision is what we symbolize with baptism. 
And so it's appropriate that this text would fall on this day as we celebrate baptisms as a church because this buried and resurrected imagery is such an important part of baptism. Paul says, for New Testament Christians, your heart gets circumcised internally. You don't get circumcised externally, but there is an external mark for you. There is an external visible sign that you're a part of the family of God, and that sign is baptism. And this is why the act of baptism, the, the mode or the method that we use of baptism, it matters a great deal. In going under the water, we're identifying ourselves with Jesus' death. Just as he went into the grave, into the tomb, we are identifying with Jesus and saying, our old self, our old flesh, it is dead. And in coming back up out of the water, we're identifying ourselves with Jesus' resurrection. Saying there's been a new birth, there's been, we're made new people in Christ. We're saying what happened to Jesus happened to us too. We died and were raised again. This is why it's so important not to, some traditions I know, uh, or sprinkle or pour, and, and that's not fine, but it, they do it. But it really matters, and I, I want to be clear, this is not just some trivial distinction between denominations and churches. It really matters because the entire symbolism of baptism in the New Testament is, is wrapped up in this idea of going into the grave and coming out of the grave. It says it here in this text. Paul says it again in Romans chapter 6. This is why anyone I get the privilege of baptizing tonight, I'm going to say buried with Christ in baptism. Then I'm going to say raised to walk in newness of life when they come up out of the water because that's what baptism symbolizes. Baptism church is a first step for Christians. It's not something you work towards. It's not something you earn. It's not something you become good enough for, you qualify for. What qualifies you for baptism is that you put your faith in Jesus for salvation. And it's an open invitation. It's the beginning of your walk with Christ. And I want to beg with you, if you have not been baptized, but you have put your faith in Jesus, fix that today. I'd love to see you take that step of baptism today. Identifying with Christ, showing to the world what I believe, taking that first step in faith. So why are we talking about all this? We've gotten on a tangent here. I know. We're going to come back. It's okay. Why are we talking about all this? Keep in mind, forgiven people are focused people. Paul is trying to keep our attention on Jesus here, and one of the ways he's doing that is by reminding us who we are. And who we are is in Christ, and how we show the world we're in Christ is through baptism. See, our attention, as I've said, is connected to our identity. When we forget who we are, we forget where to look. I'm a football fan. That may not surprise you. In the old days of football, you used to be allowed to hit people. I expected more amens than that, but that's fine. In the old days of football, you used to be allowed to hit people. Now you get a penalty anytime you hit somebody hard. But in the old days, one of the most glorious plays in all of football was the blindside block, right? And, and the, the most common ways this happened, blindside means you don't see it coming. You just get knocked out and you don't see it coming for you non-football fans. The, the, way, the most common way this happens is the quarterback who's on offense trying to score points, he throws an interception to the defense. They catch it, and now what happens then? The roles are reversed because now the other team has the ball, so now they're on offense, and the, the people who were on offense are now on defense. There's an identity shift, right? There's a change. And what typically happens is people who aren't used to making tackles, to running down the, the guy with the ball who, because they're always on offense, now they have a responsibility to go tackle the guy with the ball. But they don't usually remember this, and they get distracted, and they lose focus. But the fun part is that the guys on defense, when they get an interception, they always remember they're supposed to be hitting people. And so this glorious collision comes. You have one guy running this way, not thinking a thing in the world, and you have another guy coming this way, and he can't see him at all, and he's got bad intentions. And he just takes him out. 
just smacks him. It's, it's, it's glory. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. And what creates that collision, what creates that derailment, is forgetting who they are. Forgetting that the role has switched, their identity has changed, they now have a different purpose, and so they're looking in the wrong spot because they've forgotten who they are. Paul says, quit looking in the wrong spot. You've got to remember who you are. You are in Christ. You have been buried with Christ in baptism. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. You belong to him, so therefore get your attention on him. When you put your faith in Jesus, your heart changes inside of you, and to become a part of the family of God, you are given a new identity. Our baptism shows that new identity to the world. And our focus, therefore, has to align with this new identity. So, Christian, you're in Christ. You're connected to him. He's in you. He's the source of your identity. All of your future hope is bound up in him. And as we'll see, all of our past sins are forgiven by him. Which gets us to our last point, that we are forgiven in Christ. Christian, we are forgiven in Christ. Look at verse 13. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So Paul tells us to keep our focus on Jesus. Don't get distracted. Don't let anything else captivate you. And the first reason he gives us for doing that is remembering who we are. The second reason he gives us here is what Jesus has done for us, which is what makes us who we are. What Paul does is he walks us through a story here in these last couple of verses. He walks us through a story that is true for the Apostle Paul, it's true for me, and it's true for every one of us who is a believer in Jesus. This story is your story. He says, you were dead in your trespasses. You were outside of God's family looking in. God made you alive with him in Christ. God forgave you. This is every Christian's story. You were dead. What a, gosh, what a hopeless place to be. He says, you were dead. Spiritually speaking, the Bible says we are not alive. We have no breath in us. There is no hope. It's hard to overstate the hopelessness of being dead. It means no spiritual vitality in you whatsoever. It means destined for eternal punishment. It is a terrible place to be. Paul says that is true for every person who's ever lived. We're born dead in our sins. And not only that, we're outside of God's family, God's chosen people looking in, wishing we could be a part of it. This is in the uncircumcision of your hearts. We, we didn't belong to God's family, God's chosen people. Only the family of God receives the blessings of God, the protection of God, the future hope of God, life with God forever. All of that belongs to people in his family. And Paul says, hey, you were outside of that. That wasn't for you. You had no part in that. Every single person faces this predicament. We're born sinners, enemies of God because of our disobedience to his commands. Sometimes people get upset when I say that you're a sinner or they're a sinner. Um, I, I think mostly those people are just uh, not honest with themselves. Uh, anyone that denies that they have sinned or committed wrongs is just not being honest with themselves. And in fact, if I could bring you up on stage right now and I had some special cables that I could hook to you and we'd play up on these giant screens for the whole room to see everything you've thought and said for the past week, would we have any volunteers? Of course not. Why? Because you know in your heart of hearts, 
I'm a sinner. I've broken God's commands. I've done what is wrong. I am not a righteous person. I am not a holy person. I am not a good person. I may do good things. Maybe, maybe, I doubt it, but maybe even the good things outweigh the bad things, but I am not a good person. And we know that about ourselves. Deep down inside, God has told us that truth about ourselves. Paul says that's true for everybody. But, good news. Paul says, God made you alive with him in Christ. No hope, dead, dead to rights. No hope for a future, no hope for eternity in heaven, no hope for forgiveness of sins. And God says, I'm going to make you alive. He does the work. He raises us from the dead. This is the miracle of the new birth. It's incredible that God takes things that are dead, people that are dead that have no life in them, and he breathes life into us through Christ. He says we're alive because we are in Christ, because we've attached ourselves to Jesus. And because Jesus is alive, so too are we alive. We become then participants in the blessings of the family of God. And in attaching ourselves to Jesus and in believing in Christ, he says we've also received forgiveness of sins. And those sins were nailed to a cross. By putting our faith in Jesus' death on the cross, the Bible teaches that all of our sins are forgiven. What does all mean? All means all. All means those sins from your past, those failures from your past that you're trying to block out of your mind that you don't want to think about, that you wish you could forget, those are forgiven in Christ. Those present sins, the ones you've committed today, perhaps on the way to church, you weren't as kind to your wife as you thought you should have been. I didn't see you, I just know that's how it usually goes. Those present sins, the things we're going to commit today, forgiven in Christ even future sins, the ways that you will fail tomorrow and the next day and the next month and the next year and until Jesus comes back, those sins, forgiven, nailed to a cross. Paul's saying, listen, if that can't keep your eyes on Jesus, I don't know what can. And church, we've got to relish in that fact. We've got to be so fired up about that fact that Jesus becomes all-consuming for us because he's all-forgiving to us, and so he should consume us with everything we have as we pursue him with our lives. He deserves our attention. He cancels our debts, extending this offer to you and I to be forgiven for all the wrong that we've done, for our slate to be washed clean. You ever had a debt forgiven before? It doesn't happen often. Maybe you owed something or... Or even just the feeling of getting out of debt. If you've ever paid off a bill that's been lagging for a little while, think about the relief that comes with that, right? And then think about what we owe God for our failures and for our sins. And he says, I'm canceling it. I'm wiping the slate clean. The relief that comes from that, the joy that comes from that. And this offer of forgiveness and mercy is freely available to any and all who would put their faith in Jesus. Jesus calls us to believe that he truly was fully God and fully man, just as verse 10 in our text today says. That Jesus really did die on a cross in a Jerusalem in your place. And that three days later, he rose from the dead and walked out of a grave alive. The Bible says if you believe that and commit to following Jesus with your life, you will be saved. No, maybe, might, woulda, shoulda, could, like you will be saved if you put your faith in Jesus. And this is why Paul goes on to say Jesus reigns supreme over every other God or philosophy or any other thing that might compete for our attention because only Jesus can forgive us our sins. Only Jesus can give us eternal life. Only Jesus can raise us from the dead. 
Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection disarms the enemy because the only weapon Satan has against us is death. That's the only thing he can threaten us with. And guess what? Jesus says, beat it. In Christ, he has nothing that Satan can, can do against us. There's nothing he can harm us with. There's nothing he can threaten us with. He has been disarmed. And so as we close, the imperative, the instruction we've said in this text is to see to it that no one takes you captive. Why? Because focused Forgiven people are focused people. So let nothing take you captive other than Jesus. And the way to doing that is by remembering what's been done for us and remembering who we are and taking very practical steps to keep our mind focused on those things. And so the first question we've got to ask by way of application is this. Who am I? Who am I? Who, what is my identity? And there's only two choices in that. I am either dead or alive. You are either spiritually dead, apart from Christ, not a follower of Jesus, destined for punishment and hell for all eternity, or you are alive in Christ, secure and safe, forgiven, promised eternity of life and joy in heaven. Those are the only two choices. And the most important question you'll answer today is, which one am I? I want to ask you to search your heart here this morning and ask, am I in Christ? Have I put my faith in Jesus Turn from my sin and am I following him with my life? If you are, praise the Lord. You're alive in Christ and you're safe and secure in him. But if you are not, I want to beg you to fix that today. After the service, I'm going to be sitting right there. Would love to talk to you about that. Pastor Matt already offered to meet you in the back of the room. He would love to talk to you about that. I would encourage you to believe. Just decide. This this is not some grandiose thing. You just have to decide. Jesus is who he says he is, did what he said he did, and I'm going to follow him with my life. If you have made that decision, please tell someone. Come tell me. Come tell Pastor Matt. Tell the person that brought you to church this morning. I don't care. Tell somebody. The Bible says if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that we will be saved. So if that's you, you need to put your faith in Jesus. Do so today. Next question after, who am I, dead or alive? Next question we should ask ourselves is, have I forgotten who I am? Have I let my mind be captivated by other things? Am I distracted? Have I let this reality of who I am kind of fade away from my life? Maybe you are a Christian here, you believe in Jesus, but you're not really walking with him the way God intends for you, the way you want to. You've drifted. Maybe something has captivated your attention and become more important in your life than Jesus. If you've forgotten that, then our step is to refocus ourselves on Jesus because forgiven people are focused people. And so the task today is to push those other distractions out of the way, to be discerning and disciplined with our attention so that we're focused on Jesus. This doesn't mean you can never do anything fun. I'm not advocating for, you know, deleting Netflix, although that might be a good idea. But what I am asking us to do, myself very much included in this, is to think about where we give our time, our focus, and our attention, and our hearts, and make sure that it's in the right place. When we go to work, don't make that our idol. Make that something in service to our King Jesus. When we parent, don't make our kids our idol, but make them something that we do in service to King Jesus. When we have fun, when we go to a ball game or we watch a movie, don't make that our idol. Make that something we thank the Lord for as a gift from Him. But be discerning and be disciplined in your attention. Because Jesus is worth all of it because of what he did for us on the cross. 
So as we close, as we wrap this morning, I want, I want to encourage you to think through what, what might I do differently this week? Where does my attention need to be honed in on Jesus? How do I need to remember who I am in Christ, what Jesus has done for me, and how might that change the way I live? Because if you're a Christian here today, you are forgiven people. And so let's focus then on what's been done for us, and then let's live out that mission that King Jesus has given us, to make known to the world the goodness and grace and mercy of God that he has extended for all who would come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, as your word says, that you save to the uttermost. A cool phrase as we think about the totality in which you save us, the, the completeness with which your work on the cross is for us. If we belong to you, we have all that we need for life and godliness. We have it in you. So Lord, would you remind us what you've done for us on the cross, saving us from our sins, paying the price in our place? Would you remind us who we are in you, that we are in Christ, that we belong to you, we are part of God's family, sealed by the shedding of your blood, that we're safe and secure in you. And with those truths, drive us to live differently. Focused on what matters, pushing aside what doesn't, living the mission you've called us to live. Would you go before us into this week as we seek to honor you with our lives? In Jesus' name, amen.